The Top 100 Clubhouse Podcast is brought to you by Eden Mill, bringing the tradition of distilling whiskey and gin back to St Andrews, the home of golf. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Top 100 Clubhouse, the ultimate podcast for golf course enthusiasts worldwide. I'm your host, James Henderson, and we're about to embark on a journey through lush fairways and breathtaking landscapes, as well as delving deep into the minds of fascinating individuals from every corner of the golfing universe. Get ready to explore the world's top golf courses through the eyes of those who know them best. This week on the pod, Simon Holt was actually in New Zealand uh, chasing golf. And one of the most special places in New Zealand is TRI. You have two golf courses in TRI, which are the public golf courses, and then you've got Tariti. Simon sits down with Jim Rohrstaff, who's the managing partner of TRI Links. I hope you enjoy. Okay, everyone, uh, welcome to uh, the Top 100 podcast. I'm taking over from James this week because we're down here in New Zealand with with a great group of guys and we've been chasing around playing golf and we've ended up at TRI, which is one of my favorite places in the world to play golf, uh, Tariiti and the two courses here at uh, TRI. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined by Jim Rostaff, who's the managing partner. And uh, Jim, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here at our own place, I guess. But it's uh, it's a little bit of a rainy morning, and uh, this is a perfect time to do this so that you can go tee it up this afternoon. Yeah, exactly. It is a rare. I've been here. I've been lucky enough to be here four times now, and this is the first time I've experienced wind and rain. So you're making me feel like it's back in Scotland, albeit still about 15 or 20 degrees warmer. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it's we've had a nice stretch of weather here. It's it's been high sixties to seventy. Uh, we're in mid November right now, uh, or late November, I guess. But it's um, it's it's a nice time of year. It's transitional still, but uh, we deal with this occasionally, and and it brings out the teeth of Lynx Golf, which is fantastic. We love it. Yeah, well, we'll get onto that later and a bit more about how, how those courses are maybe with, with that built with that in mind. But to start with, and this is what James does with all our guests, uh, our usual host, let, tell me about your golfing background, how you got into golf, and then that'll hopefully naturally flow into to Tariti and TRI. Yeah, great. So uh, I, I started playing golf when I was 15, and um, I didn't really have a, a golf family, meaning my, my direct family. We were a very, very athletic family, so we, we played a lot of sports. Golf is actually the last game that I, or sport that I learned to play. Uh, but I, I picked up a club the, the summer I turned 15 and played at a municipal golf course in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And, uh, and I was hooked immediately. And my, my main sport growing up was uh, soccer and, and come from a soccer family. Uh, played a lot of tennis and skied and played basketball and uh, but once I once I started to hit golf balls and and actually flush it every once in a while it's like wow there is no feeling better than controlling a golf ball and uh, I was hooked that first summer and and couldn't get enough so so I started playing when I was um, when I was in my mid teens uh, we had a uh, I call him my uncle Jack but it was at really my mom's uncle uh, he was my grandmother's youngest brother. He played on tour for a while, uh, lived in California, owned his own golf course. And so when I, when I went out to, to see him, it, it's called uh, Rancho Maria in uh, Santa Maria and uh, Central Coast, California. But I, I remember going out and seeing my Uncle Jack. And, um, you know, he was, 
he was like a hero, you know, just seeing a guy own his own golf course and people idolized him. And, uh, he was a very charismatic, good guy. Uh, you know, he was six foot two, six foot three, uh, hit it really good. Still played in some senior opens, senior British. He played quite a few times. Wow. Uh, and, uh, you know, just, uh, he won the California open, you know, he, he was a heck of a player. So we had, we had some golf on that side of the family. Uh, but, but my parents didn't really play. And so we, we got into it then. And like I said, I, I kind of idolized, I guess my uncle Jack and, uh, he, he passed about a year ago, which was really sad. Yeah, no, I'm yep. sure. That's, yep. uh, sorry to hear that. And then, so then transition through like college work life and then you're, you're down here in New Zealand. So sort of fill the gaps between. between yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, not an obvious transition from Kalamazoo, Michigan to New Zealand, but, uh, I, I ended up moving out to Southern California in 1998 and, uh, I went to the golf Academy in San Diego, uh, which was a, a business, uh, golf business school basically that, uh, taught golf management. And, and so it was very golf centric. And while I was out there, I started working at Rancho Santa Fe Golf Club, which was a 1927 Max Bear design, wonderful, wonderful golf course, home of the original Clam Bake, uh, which then went up to uh, Pebble Beach, wow. AT&T. I and, didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a, a great spot in Rancho Santa Fe and and became really good buddies with a, a lot of members there. And, and then there was a new golf course that was opening up uh, just a few miles away in Rancho Santa Fe called the Bridges. And I, I went over and I was on the original team at the Bridges working uh, on the golf side. So I was actually working in golf uh, for a period of time, thought I wanted to be a club pro for a period of time, thought I wanted to play, but I definitely was not talented enough to do that. And fortunately, I, I realized that uh, pretty quick. Um, but opened up the bridges in, in 99 and then opened up another club in, uh, in Rancho Santa Fe called Santa Luz, which is a, a Reese Jones design, uh, just a few miles away a month after nine 11. And, uh, when I started working at, uh, at Santa Luz, I was the first assistant under a, a director of golf that came from Oakmont, uh, named James Swift. So he worked under Bob Ford, which I know you just recently had on. Uh, came out of the Bob Ford factory. Yeah, uh, like, like a lot all of, the good ones. Yeah. Like like a lot of the great ones. Yeah, absolutely. So, I worked for Swifty, and uh, that was a uh, that was a project that was done by DMB, who is a developer out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, they developed things like Silverleaf, uh, Forest Highlands, and in, in Flagstaff, Lahontan, and uh, in in. Lake Tahoe, uh, Martis Camp, and Kikuyula, and and Glenweil, and Park City. A lot of a lot of great courses and and private communities in the West Coast. So as I was working for uh, DMB, uh, I I started to quickly realize that maybe golf wasn't for me, but I liked still being around uh, the golf business. And so I, I ended up getting into the sales business with uh, with DMB and and getting into the you know the real estate development side of the business and and the planning side and selling side and and how do you build a club? How do you you know how do you build a community? Mm-hmm. So I I just naturally transitioned into that role and and then did several projects with them and and then in two thousand seven went out onto my own and. Uh, met Rick in 20, I don't know, 2010 or 2011 at, uh, a place in the desert called the vintage club. Yeah. And, uh, we became fast friends and he invited me to come down here in 2011, 2012 to look at this piece of property he was looking at in New Zealand and came down with him. Uh, it was still a pine forest at the time and, uh, you know, all on sand and you could, you could see this as a, a wonderful piece of property and Rick had, 
very, very big uh, dreams and aspirations of what it could be. And he had never developed anything like this before. So he was he was really trying to pull people in that he uh, knew, trusted, uh, had had experience and could help uh, make his dream become a reality. So it's just for the background for the listeners, when we, when we say Rick, we're talking about Rick Kane. Oh, sorry. Uh, yes, no, Rick, Rick no, Kane. Yes. You, you, yeah, well, you know him very, very well. I'm fortunate enough to, to have met him quite a few times mm-hmm. in the last 10 years or so. Um, obviously, great man, highly successful in finance. So he's come down here, found this parcel of land, um, which which we now all know as Tariti, which I've been on record a million times saying is my favorite place on the planet. And it just gets incredible. And time after time after time, it gets better and better and better. But let's talk about the genesis of that. And you and Rick being down here, knowing you had this wonderful piece of land and Tom Doak. Yes. So Rick, uh, Rick always likes to say, uh, you know, when, when he was going to build his own golf course here, he had three architects on his, on his list. Um, so number one was Tom Doak. Uh, number two was Tom Doak and number three was Tom Doak. So, <laughs> so there was, there was only one architect that he decided he wanted to use and, and that was Tom. And, and so he brought Tom down, uh, actually to see another property, uh, prior to Terry E.T. Okay. That, uh, that, that didn't work out. Tom spent, uh, several hours on the ground in New Zealand looking at this property and said, Rick, uh, I could I could build you six of the best holes in golf and twelve of the worst. Yeah, this land is definitely not fit for a golf course. So uh, so Rick at that time actually thought the dream was kind of over, and then um, actually a guy a guy um, sent Rick a basically to his his uh, home office in L.A. sent him a package on a New Zealand land deal. Uh, a developer here named uh, John Darby, and uh, and and then Rick got this you know this piece of land, came and looked at it, and brought Tom down and. Tom, you know, spent four days with, uh, I think on that first trip, it was Brian Schneider mm-hmm. uh, walking through the forest. And they came out four days later with a routing and, and uh, two big thumbs up and a smile on their face saying, we've got a, we've got a good one here. And, and Rick's direction to them at the time was, hey, if we can't do something that's top 50 in the world worthy on this piece of property, let's, let's not waste our time. So he, yeah. he told them right away, we, we expect something very bold, very, um, you know, great on this, on this land. And they, they definitely executed. Yeah. And I've, I've read that before. I think Tom obviously is a great poster on Golf Club Atlas. I think even recently he sort of put something about, oh, there was a client that once asked me this and I sort of joined the dots and assumed it was Rick down here knowing sort of Rick's personality, but also how great the site was. And obviously, objective achieved. It's just got better and better and better. So I think well, it debuted in, in something like the the 30s or maybe even 29. Yeah, in the it was it was around 29, yeah. and I I think that the the latest uh, I think has it at 20, 20 now. 20, yeah. yeah, which yeah. is so incredible. It's, it's just Absolutely it's incredible. just continued to kind of move up the charts. You know, it's yeah. it's interesting. Uh, you know, some people will talk about with with all the rankings. What what I love about rankings is they they spark debate, they spark yeah. conversations, and you know nobody's right or wrong. It's it's what do you like better than you know what do I like, and let's talk about why. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and it's it's really interesting. I think there's. Um, there are a couple of modern courses that are really, really highly rated. You look at Sand Hills, you look at Pacific Dunes, you look at Terry E.T., Friars Head. Those are, to, to me, the first four that just jump out as probably the highest rated. Uh, but I, I think that uh, when they have history on their side, they'll be, they'll be thought of with you know, some of the other great courses that are in that top 10 part of the list. Mm-hmm. So I, I think time will, um, will help move them up the list. But uh, 
traditions do mean a lot in the game of golf and, yeah. and a, as they should. Yeah, but I think as well that somewhere like Tariti, and again, the first time I was looking, the first time you and I met was 2016 at the, at the Renaissance Cup where Tom invites his kind of industry friends yeah. around to, to come to one of his new courses. And obviously to get us all on a point in New Zealand, it had to be pretty compelling, especially from Scotland. Um, and how glad we all were that we came. And I think unanimously, and there's a little bit of group think we're all there and we're all dokies and we're all caught up in the buzz of the beauty of the place. But it's like, okay, take a cold shower, go out there, play it again, and really realize that this is one of the truly great golf courses on the planet. And for it to continue to rise, I think really underlines that people were hopefully right the first time when people came and said, no, no, I'm going to put my neck on the line. This is that good. It doesn't matter that it's a new golf course. It, it is that good and it will stand the test of time. Yeah, and a uh, you know a guy uh, on the on the panel, Luke Reese, who uh, first time he came out and saw it, we we bumped into each other after his first round, and and he came off and he just I remember he said to me he said uh, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure if I just saw what I think I saw, but that was you know that was that was exceptional and maybe the best golf course I've ever played. And I said, wow, that's that's a pretty big bold statement from somebody who's played everywhere and loves links golf and yeah. and and so comments like that from people that have seen it all is uh you know it's it, it we're we smile every time we we hear somebody that comes and enjoys our place so it's it's great and um and talk uh, is this is correct me if i'm wrong on this did you tell me once that the first hole that tom sort of cut out of the trees was was 17 and said okay this this is kind of what we're going to go for here yeah actually the the gentleman i referenced earlier john darby he he cut about a uh, uh, okay. i don't know if it was five or ten yards wide uh this little swath of trees out yeah. so that we could see there was an ocean and the hen and chick islands yeah. and sail rock so and that is roughly where the 17th sits today so mm-hmm. yeah that was the that was the first little clearing just to say yeah there is a there is an ocean outside of this thick forest and i mean there was gorse all over the it was nasty i, I don't know i i still don't uh, i've seen him do it multiple times now but i still don't understand how tom you know reads a topography map and and has the the vision mm-hmm. to actually see truly within a forest because we hadn't cleared anything he routed a golf course just from walking through a forest for days mm-hmm. it's it's unbelievable i mean it was, well, it's dark in there it's gorse everywhere it's it's not a direct path not yeah. a direct line of sight it's pretty incredible i've joked around before i've said this like three or four times people are getting bored of me saying it now but he's it, he's almost like neo in the matrix with the way he sees a topo map and he, yeah. i've asked him before you know what thinks what do you think separates you from your peers is the one particular part that you're great at is it sitting on a machine is it doing this is it doing that and it's the routing. He said the routing. Absolutely. But, Couldn't agree more. But then also, as you and I have discussed off mic, um, he seems to have this uncanny ability of finding great talent through his internship program, uh, amongst other things. And the likes of people that I've met through Tariti, you know, Clyde, Johnson, Angela Moser, that are now going off and leading their own projects for Tom or Brian Schneider that you mentioned And Brian, Brian Slonick, who actually yeah. was the, the lead associate on, on both of these building, mm-hmm. um, both, both the uh, Terry E.T. and the North Course. You know, Brian was on the ground here, Brian Slonick, and, and he, he's a very, very talented guy. And it's, it's amazing to watch. So Tom, to me, Tom moves at, at lightning speed, and I'm, I'm guessing we'll talk about this, but uh, Cor Crenshaw, you know, Bill, Bill is... Um, a plotter he he moves a little bit slower he likes to really contemplate and thinks things through where where tom i feel like he he's just okay i see it this is what it is this is what it needs to be sometimes he changes once they start moving ground but um he he sees it lightning fast but to see him go and and i uh during the north course construction they were they were standing in front of the fourth green uh we were about 130 yards out and 
Tom just starts speaking to me gibberish to Brian Slonick and kind of mumbling about things and pointing and you know it's got to be like this over here and just you know like so and so at this course and you know that hump that they have there and yeah. and and it was a 30 second interaction and Brian Slonick's just like yep got it and then Tom walks away and Brian goes and builds it yeah and it's just unbelievable the the they've worked together so long the way they can work off of one another is is really really incredible and mm-hmm. i think I think as Tom does work with his team and obviously Tom's name is the one that's always talked about, but you know there's a supporting cast there that's unbelievably talented that yeah. that um, now you're seeing more and more credit you know Angela, who was on the ground for the north course, Clyde, who was on the ground for the north course mm-hmm. uh, their names are becoming known, and that's yeah. that's fantastic for them too no absolutely and so let's go back to, to the vision. We talked about Tariti and the vision there was to have it, you know, to be this sort of golf course. And as well, you talk a lot about community in the club. And I know you've done very, very well again for a club, the, the geographical location to get all these you know, avid golfers from around the world to come and join Tariti is testament, not only to the golf course, but the, the club that you've built as well. And what would you say was key to that part? Well, you know, people have probably heard us say a few times. You know, we've got we've got one rule at Terry Et, and that's the no asshole rule. Uh, <laughs> so it's uh, it's a little crass, but it's um, it's it's really a principle that that stands very true to what what we believe is, and that's you know we don't need rules at a place like this it's um we we just want good people around that will come and enjoy and and do so without the expense of of others so uh if you do things that don't negatively impact our our staff your fellow members and guests you know god bless you go go have fun if you want to play a five ball if you want to play a six ball if you want to go do a cross country golf that's fine you know just just do it and be aware uh but we started the club really by uh Rick and and Terry Quinn who's on the board with us and and there was a, a small group that, and Larry Shakely, who is one of the founders as well, it was really compiling a list of people, inviting 50 friends, and then doing nothing. And that's, that's actually a harder you know, strategy to execute than it sounds. But what that allowed is, is really for us to start with a great base of people and then allow them to bring their buddies down, share the place, and allow the club to build um, organically. And and that was really the the key to the success. Is we were, you know, we were never trying to sell Terry Et. We we really were trying to just share the experiences that it offered. And then as as the right people came along and exposed themselves themselves to the club, you know, and and they were a right fit, and they liked us, we liked them. Then we'd invite them to join the club, and and that's how we've built Terry Et over the last. Uh, you know, it's been open now for eight years, but for the last ten years, that's that's really how we built the membership, and and I think it's one of the strongest memberships in the world. It's incredible the mm-hmm. the people that are there. They're just you know good people, and it's like a family. It's great. Yeah, no, is we were there for for lunch two days ago now, uh, and we're lucky enough to play in the afternoon with a group of members that we've become good friends with. It's a wonderful thing about our game. You know, it's wonderfully reciprocal. Um, but seeing other members walk in that maybe hadn't been here for a few months, we were with a, a couple of the Kiwi members. For them to just jump up, go over and give a hug to a couple that have just arrived in from Los Angeles or San Francisco is that even though this is a place that is far away, that the members seem to have really formed that bond and become really close friends, which is, again, testament to, to you guys and the vision uh, and the club itself, which is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it is it really is a um, it's a place that people come in, especially if you're a guest coming for the first time at Terry E.T. All of us do the same thing. We go to a place we're super excited about. We get nervous. We, you know, we don't want to break any rules. Yeah. We're a little we're a little bit on edge until we kind of figure out what the deal is. Uh, 
And, and it's a place that I think people are immediately disarmed because they're greeted with a big smile and a mm-hmm. wave and a handshake or a hug. And, uh, and, and people feel that and it, and it immediately makes you feel very comfortable and at home. And, and it's, it's like a family reunion uh, when people are coming into town this time of year, you know, from now until April. You know, it's like I, I need a little bit of a liver job by, uh, by, <laughs> by, by May, June, because everybody comes in wanting to hang out and screw around and play golf and, you know, have a cocktail or two. So it's a, it's a fun place like that. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Yeah. And, but then we move to, so, you know, Tariti's established, wonderful success. And now we're sat here in these, this incredible cottage here at TRI with two incredible golf courses. The South Course just uh, debuted in the World Top 100 in Golf Magazine having played the North course now twice in the last two days um, and someone who feel is fairly well-traveled, I would say that, that that is almost a lock as well, but talk about the vision for TRI because totally different proposition from, from Terry ET. Yeah. So, you know, Terry ET is a, you know, it's a small private club and, um, and that's great. We absolutely love that. But we were also excited to share the coastline. So this was our, this is our opportunity here to really create some great golf and, you know everybody. Um, everybody knows Bandon Dunes and the Kaisers. Uh, really, Mike Kaiser at the at the time. The boys were very very young when when Mike stepped out and did Bandon Dunes. Uh, but he showed that remote great links golf works and people will travel and and uh, you know. So when we started looking at what to do next, uh, we looked at this piece of property and thought, well, we've easily got enough room to do thirty six holes. We would love to share it, so let's build it as a you know a resort style. Um, you know, two golf courses, two great architects. We we immediately went to uh, Bill and Ben, and they got the first choice of the land, which Tom. Uh, yeah, I'm does. sure that went down well with Tom. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I did make a map one time that actually whited out all of the the coastline that Bill and Ben had and just left the balance for Tom to figure out where his course could go. And he's like, where's the rest of the coastline? <laughs> and so um, Bill likes to say that he gave Tom, uh, you know, five, 600 meters back of coastline. But uh, Bill's golf course here, Bill and Ben on the on the south course, you know, this this has about as much coastline as any golf course in the world. I yeah, think. it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, but really, the model here was, hey, let's share this with the world. And uh, we've also created a club here. And we've got a really, I think, an interesting model where mm-hmm. we we actually toggle back and forth the two courses every day of which is for our members and which is for hotel guests, greens fee players. So there's there's a golf course open every single day for a greens fee player. And our members have a private course every single day. So it's a it's an interesting model that I'm I'm kind of surprised I haven't seen it more. But yeah. uh, but it's been you know a year and a bit in, and we're we're finding it to be very successful so far. Yeah, no, it is interesting. So just to underline that, you've, there's a north and the south, the north being the Dote course, the south being called Crenshaw, which opened last year. The Dote course opened in the last month. So on one day, so today, for example, the north course is open to pay and play, mm-hmm. and the south course is reserved exclusively for members, and then tomorrow and their guests. flip-flops. Yes, correct. And our, our members can actually play either course any day, sure. so that's one of the benefits of being a member. But yeah, we've got uh, we've got one course dedicated every day to uh, to the public. Yeah. And, yeah, and then now we can sort of dive a bit more into working with the differences <laughs> that you can tell us of working with you know, Bill and Ben and working with, with Renaissance Golf Design, Tom Doe's team. Well, it's interesting. They're both, uh, as I alluded to earlier, different pers- different personalities. You know, Ben uh, and and Bill. You know, they um, 
they also are are fabulous routers of a golf course. You know, the the I think the pacing, the rhythm of of the South Course is fantastic. The way they they work you into it, it it's a generous par five to start going up the hill. Uh, you know, massive landing area, and uh, and the number two is a, a a bit of a punch, and uh, and then it starts to build, and you get to that fourth tee box, and it you know the sky no, the, opens the big up, reveal. yeah, and, it's and incredible. yeah, it's just unreal, and I I just love, I try to actually walk off of three green faster than anybody in my group when I've when I've got guests or somebody that hasn't been here before, and I try to march up the hill as fast as I can. I just like to turn around and watch their faces as they come up that hill and they look to the right and they just go. Oh my God. Every time, you know, they just freak out and it's a fun tee shot. It's a parachute tee shot. You know, you hit it down the hill and then it cascades hard, right. Uh, as it runs down those slopes. But I, I think, uh, you know, with Bill, he, we owe him a lot of gratitude. He, uh, came out here during COVID. Uh, he, he made four trips, I believe where he had to spend two weeks in a, uh, isolated hotel room during the MIQ uh, time here mm-hmm. in New Zealand, where the borders were closed. We had yeah. we actually we we fought for three four months to get a special exemption to allow Bill to come into the country. Wow! But each time, you know, he was uh, seventy four, I think, during construction, and he came out and he spent two months of his life locked in a hotel room in order to spend another probably. 10 weeks on the ground well, well, two months locked in a hotel room. yeah so that's well that's four times two weeks each time oh okay yeah right. so not not yeah, two yeah. months consecutively but every time he came two weeks in a hotel room locked in a hotel room, then comes out spends two three weeks on the ground then leaves comes back a couple months later and does it again so you know we we've got this debt of gratitude to to bill for making that sacrifice you know, at, at his age, he doesn't need to do that. At his stage in his career, he doesn't need to do that. But, you know, he saw this, I think, as a, a really special opportunity to create a great one. And um, and we're we're so, so grateful to him. Yeah, well, he's certainly yeah. done that. And then the difference, I suppose, between the two courses architecturally, when I first played the South last year, this time last year, you know, you greeted with these these big wide generous fairways which on a day like today that's blowing an absolute hooli outside uh it, it, it you know you see you why. need it you need you it, need it. Yeah. Yep. um but really interesting set of greens and as you say the flow of the round just the the, the cadence and the, the up and down and you know the, the the accents as i would call them like wow look at this but then you can't keep that pace every single hole albeit this course does an, an excellent job of that but then the middle of the back nine for me is like the all-star golf when it's just like truly um, unique holes. You haven't seen them before. A good string of short par fours, that middle part of the of that back nine to me. But talk to me about your favorite holes on South. Why not try Eden Mills, The Guard Bridge, blended malt whiskey or golf gin? Visit our sponsor's site, www.edenmill.com for more information. Eden Mills St Andrews bringing the art of distilling back to St Andrews. Oh gosh, uh, kind of like your favorite kid. I I, uh, I I think there are so many good stretches on the south. Uh, I love the start. Uh, I love four, five, six on the you know middle of the front nine is fantastic. That's the the big downhill sweeping. Uh, 
par four that's maybe 490 from the championship tees but it, it doesn't play that long because it runs down the hill five is a stunning uh, par three along the stream with the the ocean and the islands in the background and then six is a pretty wild tee shot over a, a blind dune mm-hmm. uh, with a bunker so i love four five six and i'm with you i i think 13 14 15 16 17 are, are just incredible. 18 is a good finisher, but that middle of the back nine, as you alluded to, there's some real scoring opportunities. So you can definitely make some birdies out there. Uh, 14, I think is just a, an incredible short par four that's yeah. drivable unless it's into the wind. Uh, and, and then, you know, yesterday I actually played and it was, it was a strange wind where 14 was dead into. And it's the first time in all my rounds there that I didn't hit driver because I knew there was no chance. And then the risk elements, you know, far outweighed any reward of hitting driver. So I laid it back for the first time ever and hit a full wedge into it. And, you know, it's a, it's a good little par four. So I, I like that same stretch in the middle of the back nine. Mm. And then moving on to the North course, obviously freshly opened. And the, my first takeaway the first time around um, a couple of mornings ago was just how much short grass there was and the sheer scale of the place. So away from the water, um, framed by these pine trees that were built, you know, I'm sorry, built, planted, what, <laughs> yeah. 30, 40 years ago? So as a, as, as a pine forest, you know, that was built for commercial reasons, I guess. And then, but it flows around, there's, there's big elevation changes, there's blind shots in there. Um, but I suppose the thing that will peel some people's eyes back is the greens are wild. Yeah, yeah, bold, uh, bold greens. I would say on the uh, on the north course, Tom, Tom definitely uh, turned up the volume a little bit, and and it's fantastic. Turned so, up the volume. Turned it's up like the volume. 11. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it, it it bursts your eardrums on a few of those, but it's uh, I, I think it's, uh, yeah, I, I think it's great to see what he and Brian Slonick and, and Angela Moser uh, and Clyde Johnson did out there. It's um, they took some chances, I think. And, and the boldness of some of those interior holes are, are just out of this world. You know, he, his first time visiting, there were these sandy blowout areas that he immediately just said, gosh, this, this looks so much like Pine Valley to me. The, the big movements, the bold movements, these sandy blowout areas, the pine trees. Uh, so he, he took, I think, a little bit of inspiration. It's nothing like Pine Valley, but you know, he, he kind of took those inspirations. And, and I think the holes that are on the inland side, there are probably seven or eight, depending on how you measure it, coastal holes and 10 or 11 on the inland. Uh, but there's, there's some pretty wild stuff there that, uh, I think is just so much fun. Oh, that's great. I I, love it. And the scale of it, as you said, there are some corridors. There's a valley of 11 to 15 where it's just big. You just see golf and that's all you see. And it's surrounded by forest and it's wild and Mm. tons of movement, you know, just rolling great, great golf land. So they, uh, I think they knocked it out of the park. Uh, I think he was at, at the front end. I think he was a little, you know, like, gosh, Bill took all the coast. And then once he got back there, he said, did Bill even see this land? This stuff is so good back here. So I think he went from, uh, uh, I got gypped on the coast to, oh, I love where I got. So yeah. he, he loved the land and I think he executed really well. Well, I think the, the greatest compliment you can pay to someone is that it, it doesn't feel like anything else. Uh, and and the North Coast to me doesn't feel like anything else that I've played. No, me, um, me either. The, the routing's fantastic. It keeps you guessing. You never know what's coming next, but at the same time, the right hole comes next, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, yep. So in that sense, the balance and the flow of the round is exceptional. 
the greens, while some of them are like on first inspection, are bonkers. Like they're so much fun. And you, if you're out there with a great caddy, like I was with Sam, he's like, no, 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 hit it over here. And you would never think of it. It's like, wow, how much fun is that? And there's places they can tuck pins that are, are going to be perplexing yeah. uh, and others that are fair. And as long as you get that balance right, uh, you know, there's, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. But if we, if we wanted to, we could make that golf course very, very hard just yeah. with pin positions would be, um, would be the way to challenge you. Cause there's, there's some, uh, some corridors there that, uh, unless you know exactly where to hit it and especially where not to hit it, that, that challenge the best players. Oh, absolutely. And then it was cool to see Brian Palmer, uh, who oversees everything. We'll get onto that in a second. Yeah. Um, all the agronomy here on all three courses, I believe. Um, he took a walk with us for like four or five holes, and it was so cool to be out there with him and Nick, um, the superintendent from North. And he said, oh, Simon, you know, you're going to enjoy this next hole. What does this look like? And I was like, is this like a riff on an Eden hole? He's like, yeah, absolutely. Which which was nice to see that little doff of the cap uh, to, to one of the absolute classics, and it fits the land perfectly, not contrived in any way. And they have a huge pocket up to the left as well that you don't see when when you first play from the tee. But that green's enormous as yes, well. Yes, huge, huge. Uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, that stretch. I don't, I don't know if you've got a favorite hole on, uh, and this is a, a, a segue, but I, I don't know if you've got a favorite hole on that north course yet. But uh, there are a few in particular that stand out to me, and and in that back valley, thirteen, I think is is one of the coolest holes I've I've ever played. It's a blind tee shot over the hill, yeah. uh, where there's a reverse camber against the dog leg, so it's it dog leg left to right, uh, but the slope all moves the ball right to left, mm-hmm. so you really want to hug the right side off the tee to get the most distance. Yeah. But then you've got a long uphill shot to a almost Biritzy green. Yeah, it is a little bit of a Biritzy green. Yeah, yeah it's got a kind of a diagonal. Uh, be Ritz that runs and it's 65 yards long. So, I mean, that, that's a hole that can, you know, y- you can have seven iron into it and I've hit three wood short of it quite a few times if it's into the wind. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think Tom, uh, Tom and his crew did a, did an incredible job on the, on the green complexes. There are some wild ones. Tom actually shaped some greens for the first time in, I forget how many years he said, mm-hmm. uh, but he shaped four, he shaped seven. So any, any complaints and I'll send you Tom's email address or phone number and you can text him. Yeah, no, he loves it when that happens. Yeah, so absolutely. absolutely. Um, <laughs> so you just asked for favorite holes. I, I do have like a handful of favorite holes around there um, and a handful of favorite greens as well. Like, you know, six green is really cool. Four is really cool. Three is really cool. Um, but I always say that I think the toughest holes to design and the toughest holes to keep um, golfers' interests are par fives. Mm. You know, we went through that horrible sort of period of the 90s and the early 2000s where like hard golf was, was seen as yep. good golf and these boring homogenous par fives, whereas holes like um, 11 here at North, an amazing par five. And like, that was actually the first hole they built. So, really? So that's where they started. So uh, it's it was it was something that we, we, we freaked out a little bit because when he built that hole, the scale of it was so huge. Mm-hmm. You know, we're looking at you know we're looking at our budget first of all. We're looking at the amount of water it's going to take. We're looking at sprinkler head counts, and we're going. This is the that was the biggest hole on the entire complex of three courses here. So yeah. that was the first hole they built. And we said, Tom, are you going to do this to us? The whole yeah, we're going to need whole, more land. Yeah, we're <laughs> going to need more land to build this golf course. This thing is massive. Yeah, and it's it's super. Uh, I, I think it's. 
the topography on 11, there is so much up and down movement. And then that massive blowout bunker on the right, just short mm-hmm. of the green. That's, I don't, I don't even know how, how uh, deep that is, but it's probably 18 feet below the surface. Yeah, I was down there yesterday. Oh, it was deep. Did, okay, so I've <laughs> only seen really one deep. person hit it in there, and it's I, I mean, it's 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 very very uh, uh, brutal. But that was that was there. That was just part of the landscape. So they yeah. didn't manufacture that. It was just something they discovered along the along the way, and mm-hmm. it's it's incredible. It's such a good feature, and it's a bold feature. Oh yeah, yeah. But then off the back of that green, you then have this beautiful transition down to a really cool part three, and the theme that. And this is on south as well, but especially on the north because of the size of the place. Like they're just short grass everywhere and these like cool short grass transitions just bleeding off the back of greens into next tees. I mean, even the 18th green flows into the putting green, which, you know, we've seen a few places now around the world. But talk to me about the conditions of these courses relative to Tariti at this stage in its life cycle and maybe kind of lessons learned on the agronomy side because they're in exceptional condition already a year or two in. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, I think that's all due to, uh, you know, our, our grow-in superintendent, by the way, and our build superintendent was CJ Crusher, yeah. uh, who's now at Punta Brava in, uh, in Mexico, yeah. uh, which was actually a project I was involved in back in 2007-8 when Tiger uh, had, had done the routing there. Yeah. And, and we pulled the pin uh, in early 09 and did not do the project. But so it's, it's really interesting that now he is there, Tom is there. Um, but anyways, they, they did a, a wonderful job. Uh, we learned in the early days at Terriiti. So we had fine, I won't get too deep into the grass stuff, but, uh, we did fine fescue at Terriiti. Mm-hmm. And anytime you get a, 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 uh, seed it's it's there's mixtures in there so there are a few varieties but it was fine fescue then we came down to uh to build tiare links and we went with hard fescue which was uh, a little more disease tolerant a little more drought tolerant a little hardier grass as the name uh states a little wider leaf and and then we went for a much higher seed count in our hydro seed just to make sure we got great coverage yeah. day one terry et was really really thin for the first two or three years yeah uh and, and so we learned that lesson. We said, okay, well, we've got to go more aggressive with more seed, which costs more money, uh, but the end product on day one is far superior. And I think that's a that's a, a big takeaway for people that uh, that come see this place for the first time, and it's a brand new golf course. Uh, I had a couple of the guys from OCM, uh, Mike Cocking and Ashley Mead, over yeah. just a couple of weeks ago, and the, and they they had never been to the complex and wanted to see it. So I was walking around with them, and and they said, this is the best fescue we've seen in the world. Uh, and and we're fescue tea to green, and uh, and and it's done really really well. You know we're at the at the warmer side of what fescue can tolerate. Yeah, Terry Et is the closest golf course in the world to the equator with fescue tea to green. I did not know that. North Great course stat. North course is now number two, and South course go. is now number three, and I think they'll stay that way for a while. But you can putt from so far off the green, and that's what you and I again we talked about this at lunch yesterday. Um, for the for the for the lower handicap golfer, you're off the side of a green. There's like a big runoff, and you're not in a bunker. You're on short grass, and you're there thinking, "Do I put this? Do I do a little bump and run? Do I try and sort of nip a little fifty nippy wedge, which is a tough off, shot, like, super tight turf." Yep. Um, whereas the 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 higher handicap golfer would prefer not to be in a bunker, and he's got a putter in his hand straight away. He can play that shot, which is. Fantastic because it, it works for all of us. Well, and I think that's um, that's a sign of great architecture when an when an architect can help guide a 
you know, 15, 18 handicap around the golf course and not punish them and, and kind of help them make easy bogeys sometimes, if that makes sense. And then the really good player that's out chasing birdies and, and, um, and easy, easy pars, you know, when they, when they take on tough lines two on the South course is a perfect example, dog leg, right, uh, kind of a reverse Cape hole, uh, yeah. you know, waste area all up the right hand side. So obviously if you, if you challenge that right side, you're taking into, uh, account a bit of risk with the, the waste area. If you play it out to the left off the tee, it's a much easier tee shot, but then everything works away from you into a grassy hollow on the right side of the green, which is not a good place to be. You're, you know, a meter and a half or five feet below the surface into that position that you just talked about where, mm. uh, you know, I'm below the surface. What do I, what do I do here? I've got, I can hit any club in the bag. Uh, but for a good player, it's not easy to get it to three, four feet. And for an average player, it's really easy to get it to 12 to 15 feet two putt from there, make bogey, go to the next. They're happy. You know, a good player is frustrated because they're trying to, you know, get up and down, make birdies. And, uh, and I, I think they've done that really well to challenge the, uh, the better players and, and to make it a, an enjoyable round for the average player. Absolutely. And then just to finish on the courses, um, again, I was lucky enough to play Tariti the other day for, as you know, been down maybe four or five years and the progression of the golf course is excellent on the, the, the condition inside and the quality of the turf and the holes have always been brilliant. It's always been one of my favorite courses in the world. But what's been interesting now is seeing how the weather's taken its toll on the sand blowouts and things. Those are gnarly. If you miss, like I told you, I missed left on 14, uh, and that didn't used to be as deep as it was. It was maybe a meter deep. It's now three meters deep. Yes. And there's other places on the course where that's happened. So I suppose two questions there. How do you combat that, if at all? And, you know, when I asked you this off mic yesterday when we were having lunch, you mentioned about notes that you've got, especially from Cole Crenshaw, um, but also Tom going forward. So I don't know, open, open forum. On yeah, right absolutely. Now. Well, I, I'd say that, um, you know, we, we've, we, uh, have a lot of compliments. We can't, can't give enough to, uh, to Brian Palmer, who you, who you mentioned earlier, BP came, uh, from shore acres. He was the, he was the superintendent at shore acres. And prior to that, he had some experience at Marion and, you know, he's, he's got great pedigree. He's an unbelievable guy. Uh, great superintendent. So he's he's got these three golf courses in in fabulous shape and getting better by the day. I mean, you've seen the progression at Terry E.T. It gets better and better and better every single season. Part of that is the maturing process, but I think his techniques, what he does, what he's learned, uh, he applies really well. So on the uh, some of the changes, you know, it's really a Tom Doak and Mother Nature design golf course. You've got a lot of uh, erosion that happens in these, these big uh, waste areas where this last summer, uh, we didn't have much of a summer. We had easterlies blowing in big storms. So we had, we had more rainfall than we've ever had in a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it set all sorts of records with that. We had easterlies, which usually are the, the biggest wind. Yeah. Uh, so we got exposed on some, some bunkers, some waste areas that just continually would, would blow out, uh, back right of 13 at Terry AT is one that we, we just had to address about four or five months ago where it just kept dumping sand on onto the back of 13 green. And, and then what happens is as it continues to blow sand out, the edges get more exposed. So then turf starts to fall into the bunker and you get that erosion problem. Uh, so, so that was a discussion with Tom that, that Brian had had ended up grassing in most of it, keeping one portion of the bunker. Mm-hmm. So now if you miss there, the ball collects down onto turf but it's it's a miserable shot. You're yeah. you're now hitting three meters up to the green. 
So it's just as hard as uh, if it were sand. It's just different options. Yeah. And and now from a maintenance standpoint, uh, it's going to be more palatable for the guys to take care of, and and we won't have those erosion problems. But you know, we've had that on on six. We've had it on. 13, as I just mentioned, 14, as you've seen, we've had to add stairs into a couple of waste areas yeah. because they, they used to be, you know, a foot or two below the surface. And now they're six feet below the surface or, or four feet below the surface. So they're constantly evolving. And I think that's, what's really interesting with, with this style of golf is we're not trying to cure everything today. We're, we're reacting with mother nature. And there are some things that we look at as preventative, but a lot of it is reactionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're, we're starting to see little areas where we say, okay, well, this bunker will likely get blown out over time, but we're not going to do anything until then. And we'll just keep an eye on it. And how do we want to treat that in the future? And yeah. uh, as, as you alluded to, I, I spent a bit of time with Bill at the end of construction when the golf course was built, looking at a few areas saying, okay, well, in in time, based on what's happened at Terraiti, uh, these are some things that could happen. What's your reaction to that? How would you like this treated in the future? Yeah. If if we find this unplayable at some point, what would you like to do uh, just to future proof us? So I've got some some notes from Bill. Uh, you know, he's very old school and uh, yellow paper lined with his cursive, beautiful penmanship, you know, just notes and notes and notes. So I've got pages of that sitting in my office in a drawer. Uh, and it's, wow. and it's really neat, just historical data to keep. And Definitely. I've actually, uh, I've actually got from Bill as well in his, uh, in his time in quarantine where he was, uh, he was staying in these hotels and he would use the hotel paper, their letterhead, yeah. and he would draw concepts of holes Oh wow! And then and then hand them to me at the end. So I've actually got these really cool drawings that we've got to put together a, a binder and a book with of all course. of this and, and scan it all in. But it's incredible just having these things, and it's got the Crown Plaza Hotel on it, and it's you know it's where he stayed in MIQ. Uh, but it's really interesting all these all these different uh, things that we've collected over the years with him, uh, with Tom. You know they're they're pretty active still in this in this part of the world. Of course, he did Cape Kidnappers, and then they've got some projects over in Australia. Yeah. So um, so Brian Slonick is, is doing a bit of work over there. So he'll stop by usually when he's passing through and just mm-hmm. check on the courses. And if there's something we need to talk about maintenance wise, we'll uh, we'll cast our eye over it. So yeah. we'll never do anything without their without uh, their say so. Yeah, without their buy in and yeah, hey, does this, yeah, does this make sense? And uh, sometimes they through photos, videos, and an email. We'll go, yep, I get that. And yeah, yeah, we should definitely do this. Or let's hang on. Uh, we want to come down. We want to check it out. And let's walk and talk and uh, and sort it out. So, so where does the bidding start on these uh, notes from Bill Core? Because that's kind of like, that's so amazing. That's like... Uh, you know, Mackenzie back in the day scribbling down and you having the originals. That's really exciting for someone like me that's a massive golf geek. That me, me really too. makes me smile. Me, oh, me, me too. I'm I mean, I, I, uh, I, I keep those things close and, uh, and I've only taken them out and shown them to a few people, but it's, it's really, really neat to have. And uh, another thing that, that I don't think many people know that we've done, uh, except those involved here, is we, about four years ago when we were starting the project uh, or starting to really dive deep into the planning of the project, uh, Rick and I talked about, okay, we'll probably do a book for this. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, wouldn't it have been really cool to watch uh, a movie on the making of Cyprus, on the making of oh, Pebble, on gosh, the making yes. of yeah. any of these places? So we've actually been shooting a documentary for the last four years on the making of TRI links. Wow. Uh, that uh, Netflix? 
Uh, no, probably not. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, Ruben, who who has done this for us, is a fantastic filmmaker. He's a he does documentaries here in New Zealand, uh, and uh, he just said the other day he's got the first rough cut, and it's about 85 minutes long, which is maybe a little longer than we were thinking. But uh, but I think I think it's going to be really neat. And, and you know, Rick's idea for that was, you know, it'd be great for his great grandkids to know his personality, what he was up to, why he did this yeah. and, and not just hear about it from someone, but to actually see him talking through. And, and so we, we've had Ruben come out over the years, you know, capturing, you know, John Hawker and Riley Johns, who are the shapers for, uh, for Corn Crenshaw and, and Bill out here, um, you know, and then, and then all of, uh, Tom's crew and, and seeing the buildings get built and just seeing all the issues along the way, you know, the, uh, the opening day, the, uh, you know, all of these fun things that we're now, now capturing and we've, we've, we've got, so I, yeah. I, I haven't seen any of it yet. He sent a couple little two minute segments and, and we've got them on the website. Uh, but it's going to be really neat to actually see all that strung together. Wow. I don't know. I don't know that anybody will sit down for an hour and a half and watch uh, this, this guy and, 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 and watch that. But, um, for us, we're, we're golf geeks too. We, we yeah. absolutely can't get enough of it. And, and I thought, gosh, that'd be fascinating to see. Not, not for me, but I'm, I'm talking for, uh, watching another place get built. I, sure. I don't really want to watch myself, but uh, uh, but I, I, I can't wait to be able to share that with some friends that I know will uh, will really eat it up. Absolutely. Well, I'm really glad we got into that topic of conversation about this, especially about the notes and, and then the documentary as well. That's, that's exciting. I can't wait to see some of those things. But um, okay, well, I'm always told to keep to time. We've done about 45 minutes. So James usually finishes with a fun little thing like that we call top five. And sort of jokes and teases me he asked me for a top five I gave him 13 but some people it's more of a kind of a state of mind rather than explicit one two three four five but uh, some people have given us three for example but what would you say around the world your, your top five golf courses are is that top five top to five play? most enjoyable yeah okay exactly. okay Just, okay so that's be best yeah Just so your, your five um, favorite golf courses look I'll I'll um I'll try not to throw our three right here into it, but they would probably you're, you're be they, okay. they would probably be near yeah. the list, yeah. um, or or definitely on the list. I'd put National Golf Links of America up there. I'd put uh, St Andrews, the old course. I'd put North Berwick. I'd put Cyprus. Uh, I would put uh, actually my my home course back in Kalamazoo, Michigan, because I just love going back there. It's it's the only place I go and play golf. Uh, for a steady amount of time in in July, where uh, I'm not looking and taking pictures of things and texting our <laughs> superintendent or general manager or director of golf, I'm just a member that pays dues, and I, I love showing up there and just having a great time with guys. Uh, but you know, as far as golf courses go, yeah, I think North Berwick and and the old course and National Golf Links of America and and uh, Cyprus and Terry E.T. and you know, there there's so many greats, but. Um, those are some pretty fun ones, but oh, the, yeah. I think at at Terry Eti and here at TRI Links, what what pushes these over the top for me is is the fun factor, and these are relaxed places that you actually do hang out. It's not just play golf, have this kind of a lunch, and then get off property. Mm -hmm. Here we hang out, and and yeah. so that relaxation and the ability to come and just enjoy, you know, whether you're a member here or your guest here, is is mm -hmm. I think second to none. Well, it's interesting. All the courses you've just mentioned there are exactly that they're very old versions of that and you know we're almost going back to the future the last 20 years with this minimalist movement from core crenshaw doak uh, which was kind of ignited really at sand hills but also pack dunes and, and places that tom's done and um, but the likes of a national and north and old course are all about width all about angles all about fun they those courses don't beat you up and they're quirky 
Yeah. And I love that. Which has clearly influenced you, and I know for a fact it's influenced Tom and, and Bill Core and Ben on the things that they like in golf too. So it's, it's interesting how it comes full circle. And Absolutely. Those things. Absolutely. And, and I do love Bannon, by the way. I mean, Bannon going, going to Bannon, Sand Valley, I think the Kaiser family have done a, a wonderful job there. And, yeah. uh, and those are also pretty, pretty tough to beat. No, to, for sure. Yeah. So then I suppose more specific to Tariti and uh, the, the two courses here, North and South, what are your handful or your, your your favorite holes on the three courses? So you can do a couple from each course or, yep. you know, the ones that really stand out across all three. And yeah. I know this is very difficult. Yeah, that that is very challenging. You know, I don't know if you've ever played the game golf course match play. Have you ever done this? So yeah, we, 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 love, we, we love going, okay, let's get, do Terry Etiverse, you know, fill in the blank. And number yeah. one, who wins? Number two, who wins? Yeah. And it's, it's a very fun game to play over a couple of tequilas. But uh, I would say... Uh, Gosh, as I would go through that, I've never done that actually with our three courses here side by side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think one on the north course, a drivable par four. I don't know how many places in the world I've played that there's an opener that's a drivable par four. Looking at waves crashing right behind the green is is a pretty fun way to start a round of golf. Oh, yeah. So I absolutely love the opener on uh, on the north. I think that... Um, you know, closing hole at Terry ET 18, I, I think is, is one that doesn't get talked about a lot, but I think yeah. it's a fantastic finisher 17 at Terry ET, uh, the little par three that we like to call pucker. Cause, uh, it was the only design note that Rick ever gave Tom Doak, uh, on that is Tom, you know, we like to play match play and, you know, if a match is coming down to 17, we, we think that, you know, you should stand on that tee and kind of pucker up a little bit. You yeah. know, the match is on the line. So Tom Tom actually went out there and sat for a long time looking at it and, uh, and, and, and actually made it more severe. Some of the green features as well as some of the bunkers visually mm-hmm. to just give you a little bit more uh, to worry about. Uh, but 17 at Terry E.T. is fantastic. I, I love 14 at Terry E.T., uh, which is a big par four down the hill. I think it's one of the more stunning uh golf shots you can hit and and the setting is spectacular i i I mean we talked about this uh middle of the back nine on the south course 14 uh 16 is incredible the 17 is a uh you know 120 yard from the championship t par three with a almost a snake-like green that's really narrow the widest part is 15 meters wide Mm -hmm. narrowest is about nine uh with some nasty bunkers around it so Look, I, I could I could go four on and on. And I'm, I'm gonna four I'm gonna name South has to be in there. For, for if you if you give me time, I'm gonna name 54 holes. Uh, yeah, you've done my favorites here. So well, what you should do, we'll just go away, <laughs> and we'll maybe do this tonight over some beers or a glass of wine or something. Is we'll come up with like an eclectic 18. Yeah, that so, would be fun. Like, what's the best first hole of the three courses? What's the best second hole? And go through, and that that would be a brilliant exercise. To and do. actually, we should do that with a group of guys and everybody write down their answers blind, and then debate and argue about exactly. who's right and who's wrong. This, yeah. so this is and fun. who built the best course yeah oh well yeah that would be an even more that'd be fun conversation (laughs) yeah yeah that's right that's right well okay well i think we're going to wrap it up there that was amazing i could speak to you all day we've uh not only had this conversation now but many times and every time i find out something new so thank you so much for giving your time thank you so much for building this incredible place and yeah, for anyone that's listening, you need to get down here uh, to see these public courses. Um, if you get lucky, you can get over to see Tariti. I think it's one of the best courses in the world. 
Um, but there's two here that are, uh, gives it a good run for its money as well. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me, Simon. It's fantastic. I could talk to you all day as well. And um, yeah, everyone, please uh, come on down. It's it's pretty incredible. We, we welcome with open arms and um, enjoy the playground, which is our two and a half acre putting green that wraps around our, our casual restaurant <laughs> with a couple of drinks. And, and that's a bit of fun, too. So uh, everybody come on down. We can't wait to have you. Good stuff. Thanks a lot, Jim. Thanks, Simon. Jim, thank you very much. I know uh, Simon waxes so lyrically about uh, that area of the world, and hopefully one day I'll come and see you. If you want to get in contact, it's james at top100golfcourses.com. Even if you just want to ask a question about something, just feel free. I'm always, uh, always keen to hear from you guys. Just one last thing. Remember, play fast, lunch slow.